I want to encourage you to find the book of Romans, chapter number 11. Romans, chapter number 11. The question that Vivian was singing about, what kind of man is this? We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the only begotten Son of God that went to Calvary's cross to die for our sins. Thank God for Jesus. When you think about uh, this wonderful letter to the Romans, uh, it is just absolutely fascinating to me how that individuals would take some of the stuff in Romans out of context and apply it to some theological beliefs that are just not uh, in line with what Jesus teaches. And we find ourselves in chapter number 11. This, this is still the salvation section of the letter. Paul has been very intentional in talking about uh, this issue of salvation. As a matter of fact, this uh, letter to the Romans has been known and called the theology of salvation. We know there's all different kinds of teaching about salvation today. Reminds you of a story I heard of a man that died and went to heaven, and there was Peter. I don't know why Peter's always at the gate, but Peter's always at the gate of heaven. And Peter was there at the gate of heaven, and Peter says, uh, Sir, uh, I wonder, have you done anything uh, to help... A- other people. And uh, the man says, well, yeah. He says, I, I've tried my best to help other people. I've tried to do good things. And Peter said, well, can you give me an example? He said, sure. He says, once I was on a roadside diner when a group of hell's angels pulled up and they came inside and started bothering this old lady. I got tired of them bothering that old lady. So I stood up and I, I approached them and they had knives and guns and they were screaming and I looked for the leader, and I found that leader, and I tapped him on the shoulder and turned him around, and I punched him right in the nose. And I said, you need to get your crew and get out of this place and stop bothering that lady. Y'all need to leave and get out of there. And uh, Peter says, wow, says that is pretty brave. says, when did this happen? The guy looked down and looked back up at Peter and said, about five minutes ago. A lot of times in our culture today, we want to think that doing good things is what gets you to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that the only way to get to heaven is you've got to, by faith, trust in the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so when we read this letter to the Romans, it is very clear that in chapter number 9, Paul has been very intentional in relationship to talking about the sovereignty of God. He simply says in relationship to the children of Israel that God dealt with Israel through His sovereignty. That is to say that God didn't ask anybody on how the Messiah was going to get here. He just did it, and he did it his way. And the way that God wanted the Messiah to get here to this earth was through the Jews. And he explains this very thoroughly in chapter number 9. And then what he does is he shifts gears and he says, well, how does God deal with the Jews presently? How does he deal with the Jews in the present? And Paul simply says in relationship to salvation is that God deals with the Jews today just like he deals with all the rest of the nations on this planet. And that is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to reject him? Are you going to try to postpone doing, having a relationship with him? And in essence, what Paul is saying is simply this. Yes, there's the sovereignty of God that, Jesus, that, that got Jesus here, but there's also the responsibility of man, which is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And then he comes back in chapter number 11 and he begins to answer the question, is God then done with the Jews? And it's a very logical question. It's a question that we all think about because when you think about it logically, it makes sense. 
God had blessed the Jews. The Messiah came through the Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish people. And as Jesus has gotten here, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. And as, he reject, as they rejected Jesus Christ, we find many Gentile nations, all the rest of the nations that exist on the planet began to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they embrace the Messiah and they trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And remember, here in Rome, the church at Rome, which was started according to the book of Acts by some strangers that came to Rome and started meeting in house churches and it began to flourish as the gospel was presented and as it grew and grew and grew, there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles and there was a point inside of the history of Rome where the Jews were expelled. They were expelled from the, the country. And as they were expelled, the Gentile church began to grow. And when it opened up again, when the nation opened up to receive all the nations of the world to help boost the economy, the, the Gentiles that were there in the church at Rome said, we think God's forgot about you guys. He's put all the blessings now upon the church. And all these blessings that are on the church are for the Gentiles, not for you. And so Paul, in understanding this, takes chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 and explains that God is not done with the Jewish people. There's still a plan. Now this is important for our culture today because we're dealing in our culture today with a couple of different theologies and religious uh, thoughts that are out there. One is called replacement theology. Replacement theology simply believes what these Gentiles were believing, that God has replaced the Jews, with the Gentiles in relationship to his blessings. And so all the blessings that God says in relationship to Israel is accredited to the Gentiles and not the Jews. That's replacement theology. And then we find there's a second category of teaching that's out there today which deals in relationship to covenant theology. And the covenant theologians simply hold to the fact that the spiritual uh, Israel is the church and all the blessings that are attributed to this issue of, of, of Israel is all spiritually applied to the church. And what Paul is doing here in this text, he's saying, no, I want you to listen very carefully, Paul says. What I'm saying is, is that God is not done with the Jewish nation. He made a promise and he's going to keep that promise. God always keeps his promise. And so when you look at this passage of Scripture, he begins in chapter number 1 of verse 11 with a question. Has God cast away his people? You see that there in the text? He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And then he says, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture saith of Elijah? How that he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed my, thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, there is at this present time also there's a remnant according to the election of grace. For if by grace, then it is no more works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which she seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, uh, and the rest 
were blinded. Verse 7, uh, in relationship to the text, is uh, attributing Israel as a he. You see that there in the text. Uh, there he says, he seeketh, uh, is not obtained, which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear until this day. And David said, as, and David said, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. And then he continues on through the text to give us this illustration. I want to try to make it through these first ten verses in this passage of Scripture. I've entitled the message this morning, God's Mercy is Fair. God's mercy is fair. And the reason why I give it that title is because within this section, what we're finding here is that Paul is explaining the merciful purpose of God. <clears throat> when it comes to the Jewish nation, God has been merciful. When it comes to the Gentile nation, God has been merciful. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, the first question that Paul asks is, has God cast away his people? You see that there in verse number 1? The word cast away here in the text means to discard. It means to forget. Uh, it means to just de be rid of them and not have to worry about them anymore or deal with them anymore. And the logic is quite simple. Since Israel was given everything that God had ever given to them, especially the Messiah, and they rejected the Messiah, then God is done with them. They rejected Jesus, so he has rejected them. And that is so far from the truth. Paul answers that question by looking at two things in these ten verses. Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, the first thing Paul looks at is Paul looks at himself. Paul looks at himself. Did you see what he says there in verse number one? Paul answers the question with a very strong response. He says, God forbid. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> He says, God forbid. That is to say, may it never be said. And then what Paul does is Paul points to two truths that support this response. Number one, the first thing he points to is his nationality. Paul points to his nationality. Look at what he says in verse number one. He goes on to say, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. Paul points to himself. He says, no, God has not forgot about his children, Israel. And I am a testimony to the fact that he has not forgot about Israel. Now, Paul has already talked about Israelites in chapter number 9. In chapter 9, in verse number 4, he categorized who the Israelites were. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, in verse number 4. He said this. He says, who are the Israelites? He says, this is who they are. They are those to whom pertaineth the adoption. You see that word there, adoption, there? What he's saying there in the text, he says that God, in his sovereignty, chose the children of Israel to be his special people, and he calls them, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Israel is my son. And because Israel is my son, I'm going to use Israel to bring through the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The prophets foretold it. Uh, the preachers are foretelling it. The people are foretelling it. And uh, he says, God adopted 
Israel. But not only is there's the adoption, he says there's also the glory. You see that there? The glory. This is a reference to the Shekinah glory. As the children of Israel were wandering, the Shekinah, wandering in there in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory of God would settle down upon them. And this glory that settled down upon the children of Israel settled down upon them because they were God's chosen people. But then he goes on. He says, not only do you see them with this adoption and the glory, but they also have the covenants. Paul says, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of the covenants that God gave to us. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. God gave those covenants through Israelites. And the Israelites, the nation of Israel, is the ones that God used in order to get the Messiah here. They, they were the ones that received the covenants. And then he goes on to the next one. Look at what he says next. He says also the giving of the law. That is the Mosaic law. God gave Israel the law to show them that they could not live up to it. And in order to go to heaven by keeping the law, you had to keep it in its entirety and not fail in one point. And it was impossible. They could not do that. And look at what he goes on to say. He says not only were they given the law, but they were also given the service of God. What is the service of God? That's referring there in Exodus and Leviticus where we find the instruction to the temple worship. God gave that instruction to the Israelites. He gave it to them for a specific purpose in worshiping God. Paul is laying the case and saying, this is my nationality. I am an Israelite, he says. But not only that, he says they also were given the promises. Look at what the text says. And the promises were given to the Israelites. This is the Messianic promises, the Millennial promises. All the promises that you find in the Word of God was given to those Jewish individuals. In verse number 5, he says, and also were given to the fathers. What is he talking about there? He says, look at the history of where Jesus came from. Jesus was a Jew. And we find that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of these great men, knew God and walked with God. God loves the children of Israel. And then he goes on. And he goes on to say this. And here is my last nationality purpose. Is that concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God-blessed, Forever. Amen. Paul simply says in relationship to has God forgot about Israel? Absolutely not. Paul says, look at myself. Look at my nationality. I am a Jew and I am saved. He says, God has not forgot about Israel. But wait a minute. He says, not, don't just take my nationality as an example. He says, let me talk just a little bit about my lineage. Notice what he goes on to say in the Number one, he says, not only is he an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, but he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, who were the Benjaminites? Benjamin, we know, according to Scripture, was the youngest son of Jacob, who Jacob also was known as Israel. We also know that uh, Jacob's wife was Rachel. And so the tribe of Benjamin held a significant place in biblical history, and because Benjamin's tribe was located in the central part of the land of Canaan, closest to Jerusalem. The tribe of Benjamin played an important role in various events and battles that were recorded in the Old Testament. 
One notable battle, however, is one that involved the, Benjamin, the Benjaminites who were in conflict with all of the rest of the tribes of Israel. All the tribes of Israel were upset at the Benjaminites in Judges chapter number 20. And there was this great conflict that ensued. And after a series of unfortunate events, the tribe of Benjamin found itself isolated and finding itself in a place of retribution from all the other tribes due to the actions of a few wicked men. The resulting war of the tribe of Benjamin almost completely wiped out the whole tribe. It almost was extinguished. And Paul is saying, that's my heritage. That's my lineage. That's where I came from. But they weren't completely wiped out. The Bible says that there was a remnant that was preserved. And they eventually were allowed to rebuild their tribe and continue their existence in Israel. Paul is saying, I came from that specific tribe. The most famous Benjaminite that we know in Scripture is a man by the name of King Saul. Saul was a Benjaminite. He was appointed the very first king of Israel. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he ruled over those kingdoms of Israel as God had appointed him. But we also find that not only was Saul a Benjaminite, but also King David was a Benjaminite. The Bible is very clear in relationship to King David. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He became the second king of Israel. And so when you look at the Benjaminites overall, the Benjaminites in the Bible were those individuals that had a specific lineage within the nation of Israel that took sincere leadership and made sure that God was exalted to make sure that God was uh, looked at and seen that He is the one true God by which we are to worship. As a matter of fact, when you look at Paul's writing in relationship to his nationality, he says something that's worth noting over in Philippians chapter number 3. When Paul was writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, he talked about his heritage. He talked about his nationality. He talked about his lineage. And he said this about him being a Benjaminite. He says in the text in chapter 3, in verse number 4 of Philippians, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul simply saying this, In relationship to who I am in the flesh, a Benjaminite, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Abraham, I'm telling you, I have more confidence in my flesh than any living person. How is that? Look at what he says in verse number 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That is to say, I came from the lineage of kings. I was circumcised in the process of being being in that lineage of kings of the tribe of Benjamin, verse 5, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Paul says, you can look at my life. I did everything in my power to keep the law. I did it with all my heart. I even persecuted the church. I didn't put up with any junk in this arena in relationship to who I was in God. I am somebody, Paul says. But watch this. Paul says in verse number 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained it, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I apprehended that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul simply says, in relationship to who he is, in his nationality, who he is in his lineage, who he is in his heritage. He said, I am a Jew of the Jew, but I have come to find out I'm nothing without Jesus. So Paul, in writing again to the church at Rome, is answering the question, has God done with the children of Israel? This is why Paul says, God forbid, may it never be. Look at me, he says. I am an example who thought I knew everything, but I found that I know nothing outside of Jesus Christ's Messiahship. He is not done with the children of Israel. Number one, Paul looks at himself. But let me show you a second thing very quickly. Not only does he look at himself, but he also looks at history. Paul looks at history. In verses 2 through 10, Paul takes a look at history in relationship to God not being done with the children of Israel. As Paul looks to the history of Israel, he points to two categories of the Israelites. He says, when you look at the children of Israel, when you look at Israelites, there are two groups of people. There is the believing minority, that's verses 2 through 6, and then there is the blinded majority. That's verses 7 through 10. Let's look at these two if we could just for a minute. Paul first of all points out a believing minority in verses 2 through 6. Notice what the Bible says in these verses. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Want ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah? How he makes intercession to God against Israel. Now let me stop right there and say this parenthetically. In these verses, Paul is going to give us an illustration of the believing minority. He says there is a small group of people, a small group of people that are Jews that have always believed the Messiah was coming. And in relationship to this, I want to share with you a story, Paul says, of these Jews that lived during the days of Elijah. He says, in Elijah's days, this comes out of 1 Kings chapter number 19, Verses 10 through 19. In this passage of Scripture, you have this issue where you, where you have Elijah, who is the prophet. And Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And as the prophets of Baal in chapter number 18 boasted and bragged, Elijah said, your gods mean nothing. As a matter of fact, if you'll turn over to chapter number 18 of the book of 1 Kings, you find that there is a very clear uh, message that we're finding here in the text. And that is that God is the only true God. 
And in relationship to that, we find that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are worshiping these other gods. And finally, the prophet has had his feel of it. And the prophet says, let's have a battle of the gods. You guys come on up here to Mount Carmel, and what we'll do is we'll build some altars. And we build these altars, we'll call upon our gods, and as we call upon our gods, the God that will lick up the fire, the God that will send fire from heaven, that will be the one true God. The boldness that we find in Elijah is absolutely amazing. The Bible says they set this to the task, and the Bible says on Mount Carmel, these prophets of Baal began to build their altars. And as they built their altars, Elijah said, go ahead and start calling on your God to consume this altar. They called and called and called, and nothing happened. Elijah finally said, the Bible says in chapter number 18, verse 27, and it came to pass that at noon that Elijah mocked them. Here's the prophet that begins to laugh at these false prophets. He says, why don't you cry a little louder? Maybe your God can't hear you. Look at what he says in verse number 27 of 1 Kings chapter 18. He goes on to say that they should cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or maybe he's pursuing something, or maybe he's on a journey, or maybe he's just fallen asleep. And must be awakening. You've got to yell a little louder, he says. You've got to get your God's attention. And he's mocking them. And the whole time, nothing happens. After a while, finally, Elijah says, All right, it's my turn. And Elijah gets his altar together. And notice what the Bible says in verse number, uh, in verse number 33 of chapter number 18. The Bible says in 1 Kings 18, verse number 33 that Elijah put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock into pieces. And he laid that bullock on the wood, and he said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar And he filled the trench also with the altar. So I want you to get the picture here. On three separate occasions, he says it's not enough to just put the animal on the altar that's been chopped up. I want you to saturate it with water. In fact, saturate it so much with water that you fill up the the trench that goes around the altar. I want it completely saturated. I do not want there to be any thought from these prophets that believe in Baal that I had some kind of trickery up my sleeve. I'm going to prove to them that God is who He is. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, And it came to pass in verse 36, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then, the Bible says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice 
and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was there in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. And the Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let no one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. Listen to me very carefully in relationship to this. Here is a bold man of God that loves God's Word, that's preached God's Word, that so saw God do amazing things for the glory of God. He defeated Baal, not the man Elijah. God defeated Baal, but he used his prophet to do these great things. And then Ahab went to his wife. Her name was Jezebel. And she was so upset and so angry in chapter number 19. She told uh, Elijah that within a 24-hour period, she's going to do to him what he did to her prophets. That is murder them, kill them. She is not going to stand for it. Would you would think that here's a man that just saw fire come down from heaven and consume that altar and take care of those false prophets. You would have think that he'd say, God's going to take care of you, Jezebel. But that's not what he did. What did Elijah do? Elijah started thinking about his own flesh and started living within his own flesh, and he got scared. And the Bible tells us that he was so fearful that he cried out to God and said, God, do you not care that she's trying to kill me? Do you not care that she's trying to hurt me? This is the story that Paul is telling in relationship to is God done with Israel. Look at what the Bible says again in Romans chapter number 11. He asked this question, do you remember? Do you remember in the scriptures about Elijah how that he made intercession to God against Israel saying, Lord... The children of Israel have killed thy prophets. They've digged down thine altars. And I'm left alone and now they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? God said in verse number 4, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul simply says in relationship to this story that God always has a remnant. I don't know if you are from the lineage of Jews. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've got some Jewish lineage inside of you. If you do, then you are one of the remnant. You are the one that he's talking about here in this text. You are the one that as a Jew in your heritage, you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart as you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If you've done that, you are a remnant just like Paul is talking about here. And Paul says, this is not something new. This is not a new idea with God. When you look at Old Testament, there's always a remnant. <clears throat> when God saved Noah, that was a remnant. When God called one man by the name of Abraham, 
There's a remnant. When God was there with Gideon and the Gideon army, there again was a remnant. When God called his exiled remnant people out of Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 24, again, it was a remnant. Time and time and time again, there's always a remnant. As a matter of fact, when you look, and we don't have time to look at Revelation chapter number 12, you see again that in the last days, there will always be a Jewish remnant. And Paul simply says, God is not done with the Jews because there's always a remnant. He talks about a believing minority. And then he closes in verses 7 through 10 by talking about everybody else. He says, not only is there a believing minority, he says, but there is a blinded majority. There is a blinded majority. And I want you to look uh, right here very quickly in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 as we come to a close. The Bible says there that this issue of God's mercy is fair because it's based upon this issue of grace. God's grace is sufficient for everyone. Verse 7, he asks this question, What then? If God has a remnant, what then? Israel, he says, hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. Remember, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God has declared Israel as his son. And the Bible tells us here in the text that Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. So he says there are two groups in Israel. There's this believing minority, but there's this also blinded majority. And this blinded majority has not found what they're seeking for. They're still looking for a Messiah. If you were to go to the Jewish nation today and you were to... Ask them questions, you'd find out they're still looking for the Messiah. They're still questioning whether or not He's going to come. And they're looking for Him to come. They do not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And we find here in the text, He says then, not only that, He says, but the elective have obtained it. Who are the elected? Those are the ones that have chosen Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The ones that have believed. This term election should not put us in a position to lose our minds. No, when we think about election in the United States, we go into the polling booth, we look at the screen, we find that there are uh, contestants there that we are to vote for, and we have to pick one. In relationship to the Jews, they had to pick, what are they going to do with Jesus Christ? A very small said, we believe He's the Messiah. And a believing majority... A blinded majority said we do not believe. And they chose the law over Jesus. And look at what he says here in the text. He says, the election found the truth and the rest were blinded. The word blinded here is the same passage, the same, it's the Greek word that came out of the Hebrew where we find Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, look at what the Scripture says in verse number 8 is to explain. it. He says, According as it is written, God hath given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto, unto, unto this day. Now, in relationship to God and His sovereignty, when God works, He will let you go in the direction that you want to go in. In the days of Pharaoh, 
when Pharaoh had the children of Israel and said, I'm not going to let them go. Pharaoh had made his choice. And time and time and time again, all the plagues that you find in the Exodus were opportunities for Pharaoh to change his mind. And he would not change his mind. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That is, God allowed for his heart to continue in the direction that he was going. Brothers and sisters, I'm submitting to you today, and according to Romans, Romans chapter number 11, in verses 7 and 8, God is letting Israel, the majority of Israel, go in the direction that they want to go in. They want to go in the direction of the law. So God says, all right, you want to go in the direction of the law? The Bible tells us that he calls their eyes or their spirit to slumber. What does slumber mean? To sleep. Their spirits have fallen asleep. What does that mean? It means that they have become calloused to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on to say that their ears do not hear. Even to this day, present tense, imperative uh, verb in relationship to this, the day of today, there is only a believing minority. Look at what he says in verse number 9. He says, And David said, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Even David had said, in relationship to the fact that they must believe the Messiah's coming, instead their tables were made a snare. All of these feast days that they had in looking for the Messiah, they focused more upon that celebration than they did the coming of the Messiah. And even today, they still look to those celebrations when the Messiah is already come. And instead of seeing the Messiah in those elements, they still look for the Messiah to come when He's already fulfilled all of their tables. Their table has become a snare. And He says that they have also become a stumbling block. When you stumble, you don't completely fall. You stumble. And so this is not going to be forever. But in verse number 10, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. If your back is bound down, you're not looking up. You're looking at the table. You're looking at the things instead of looking at God. God, why would you let this happen? Why would you allow this to happen to the children of Israel, knowing that you're not done with them? The answer is found in verse number 25. As a matter of fact, verse 25 is the key verse in unlocking this whole chapter. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse number 25, he says this, For I would not, brethren... Now remember, he's writing to the Roman church. This is brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There are Jews inside the congregation. There are Gentiles inside the congregation. And Paul simply says, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So what Paul has just explained to us is a mystery. How that God is not done with the children of Israel. How that there is always a remnant in place that God has 
set aside, that God knows and allows for these individuals that He loves, this remnant, if you would, as they carry the gospel to the ends of the world, they're believing, they believe in Jesus the Messiah, but there is this blinded majority. And this blinded majority is even in existence today. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery in verse 25, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in this, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Paul says the reason why the majority of Jews do not believe is because God is a fair God in His mercy. And the mercy of God is extended not just to the Jews, but to every nation of the world. And God has a time period. God's time period in relationship to salvation for the Gentiles is not full yet. And He tells us here in the text that until that fullness of the Gentiles... Become in. The children of Israel will continue. The majority of them will continue to focus on their laws, on their tables, on their traditions, while the truth is being preached around the world. Why do we get on an airplane and fly over to the Dominican Republic and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because there are Gentiles there. And those Gentiles need to hear Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You can't get to heaven by keeping the law because you can't keep the law. You will fail just as Paul had found out. Paul had failed. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 11 in verse number, 20, in verse number 26, he says... And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. They shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant to them, when I shall take away their sins. Will Israel repent? They will. But they must repent the same way you and I repent. They must come to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So as Paul approaches chapter number 11 with God's merciful purpose, he says this, God's mercy is fair. God's desire is that everyone be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. God's heart is that everyone be saved. God's means by which one is saved is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's the only way to get to heaven. He's the only way to have your sins forgiven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father except they come through Jesus Christ. But in order to come to Jesus Christ, you've got to come His way, not man's way. And what is, what is God's way? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 10, in verse, in verse 9 and 10, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be 
saved. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can the Jews be saved today? Yes. How? They've got to call upon the name of the Lord. If they don't call upon the name of the Lord, what happens to them? They die in their sin. How tragic is that? I know it's terrible, isn't it? God's mercy is so great to them, He gives them the same opportunity He gives to us. For you, as a Gentile, if you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and you say, well, I just want to come to God my way, you can't go to God your way. You've got to come God's way. And God's way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. The only way for you to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question this morning. If you were to die today, do you know for sure where you'd spend an eternity? If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? There's only two places. There's either with God or away from God. With God is with God in heaven. Where is heaven? Wherever God is. Away from God is in hell. And for eternity, there are individuals that are in hell that said, God, did we not do great things in thy name? Did did we not go through the sacrificial system? Did, Did we not go through the confirmation classes? God, did we not get baptized? God, did we not do this? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? God says, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You tried to get to heaven your way and not my way. God's way is by faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Have you ever confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart and put your faith and trust in Christ? If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we go to the Lord in prayer and closing, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, from your heart to God's, would you say something like this to the Lord this morning? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning, the best that I know how, I repent of my sins and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.